0: This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message.
1: Uh, would y'all turn with me to, uh, to uh, Matthew 18 for the scripture reading this morning. We'll be in the 18th chapter of Matthew And uh, we'll we'll be toward toward the end of the chapter. We'll read verses 21 through 35. Matthew 18, verse 21. Would you stand? Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I did not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet, begged him, saying, "Have patience with me, and I will pay you all." And he would not, but went and threw him into prison, till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had been, what had been done, they were very grieved, and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, "You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also?" have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you. And his his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses.
0: Let's pray. Father, we are... Thankful this morning for forgiveness of sins. Um, all of us, all of us in the in this room, have a uh, debt uh, greater than uh, we're able to pay. And so, Father, we cast ourselves upon you uh, for your mercy. And we're so thankful, Lord, that we're by your grace not required to pay. But you sent your only begotten Son into the world to pay our debt, for us. Lord, again, we thank You for Your grace. Lord, uh, please grant understanding as we consider this passage this morning. And as always, we ask, Father, make make it effective. Make Your truth effective in our hearts so that we, we don't, just hear it with a physical ear and then allow the enemy to steal it away, but so that it sinks in deep and takes root and produces change, produces fruit in our lives for Your glory and honor. Grant it, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. can be seated. Simple title this morning. Um, don't forget. Don't forget. Um, talk a little bit about how important it is to have a good memory. <laughs> it's Convicting already, isn't it? It is. It its to me. Well, of course, we're talking about something specific in regard to that. Or I can say it this way. Um, just kind of a subtitle: the tragedy. Of the forgetful servant. That's what we have here. That's why I use the title, Don't Forget. Because what we see here uh, in this illustration that Jesus gives us is a forgetful man. He's forgetting something extremely important. It's important for us to have a good memory regarding the grace of God. Um i'm I'm amazed often and I, I wish this were in the right way I'm amazed at my memory <laughs> quite often and and I don't mean that it's so good I mean that it's it's so bad you know with for some reason with the years you know you get older and um the memory just doesn't seem to work as well i I don't know my my grandfather used to say, my memory's not bad, it's just not as long as it used to be um and and i'm understanding that better and better and almost embarrassing times although it's somewhat funny sometimes too but how you how I, why i can remember things so well that don't matter and then tend to forget things that are really really important that, that amazes me and it's not you know uh and it's a sad truth, oftentimes. I, just the other day, I was you know, uh, on, on kind, of, kind of the light side, but this is just an example of something that I remember that's totally useless. I we, we were I, was, I took my dad to a doctor's appointment, and uh, I, we had there was a couple of old landmarks in Shreveport <laughs> that uh, that uh, I, in fact, a couple of times I had pointed out to Leslie, and you know, I think such and such used to be there. And I don't know why I remember it because it's basically, uh, you know, I was—I mean, I was so little, so little, uh, you know. And I, anyway, I tell her I think it was there, you know. And and this, so I just happened to be going down one of these streets the other day with my dad, and I and I asked him, where was so and so? You know, I'm I'm in the vicinity where I pointed out to listen. I said, where was so and so? And he he said right there, pointed at that building, right right where I had said it was. It just Amazed me that I could remember that, and it's totally useless. And another one was not far from there. There was an old what they used to call the Domino Hall uh down on Texas Street. I don't. Do you remember that, Brother Fred? Domino Hall on Texas Street. Well, good. See, you're better than better off than me because I. That's totally useless. But like I say, this is just again an example. I don't know why I remember that, but I asked my dad again as we passed by there. Uh it's the location of it, and he showed me and it was where I th- thought it was. I mean, I may have been off a building or two, but it was right there where I thought it was, totally useless and then you you, you go to do something like memorize scripture, and it 's very difficult, very hard or um, you meet somebody and you don 't intentionally uh, you know take that lightly i mean somebody's God sent somebody across your path, and you always want to be alert to Uh, to people that come your way, but five seconds after you talk to them, you realize you can't even remember their name. So, bad memory um, is, is just a real problem. But, those things are minuscule, really, compared to what we're talking about remembering here today, which is remembering God's grace toward us. And the way that that plays out. In other words, if we remember it well, what it does is impact our lives in such a way that it affects our relationships with other people in a positive way. But if we don't remember it well, if we forget, if we tend to forget God's grace toward us, then that too impacts our lives and our relationships with other people, but it does it in a negative, a negative way. Now... We've, we've been in uh, Matthew 18 for a few weeks now, a couple weeks at least. And we, we know by now the context here has to do with offenses and sinning against one another. Um, so we started out in the beginning of the chapter. Jesus telling us that even to enter the kingdom of heaven, we must become like little children. That's verse 3. Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted... And become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, uh, as he so often is is doing, is talking about the kingdom of heaven, the nature of the kingdom, and he says here that you can't even enter in unless you become, unless you humble yourself and become as a little child. And then we we talked about that in the the, uh, subsequent verses. He talks about how serious it is to offend one of these little ones. That is, someone who believes on him, a believer. And then we went through verses 15 through 20, where he even gives instruction for how to deal with offenses in the context of the local church. That is, among brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh so for example in verse fifteen he he says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. And he and he gives us a four stage uh process here. Um, you you first, you know, somebody offends you or some someone commits an offense, you, you go and tell them their fault just one on one. And the goal here, as we mentioned before, is is reconciliation, repentance and reconciliation. It's always the goal. So so we always you know, we don't go to to uh You know, to come down hard on somebody, put them in their place, so to speak, or something like that. We always want to go gently, humbly. Again, uh have to become like a little child. Turn and become like a little child. Humble yourselves. You go gently, humbly, and you confront them with their sin, with the goal that they would repent and be reconciled. You you know, your, your relationship is restored. But if they... Refuse to hear you, Jesus says, call one or two other witnesses, and you go with them. That's the second part of the process. If they refuse to hear uh, the other witnesses as well, they still won't repent, um, then you take the matter before the church, Jesus says. And again, all the way through here, we're, the goal is repentance and reconciliation. But, Jesus says, if they refuse, they, they, now they won't even hear the church, that is, the congregation they they refused to hear you, they've refused to hear you plus other witnesses, and now they've refused to hear the whole congregation. Then Jesus says they, they've got to be removed. Um, let them be like a, a stranger to you, a, a heathen and a tax collector. Verse 17, That's the final stage for somebody who's, well, at least as far as church discipline. But even then, you're hoping that at some point they're going to repent and be reconciled. For somebody who's sinned, committed a sin. So we've got a process there, how to deal with offenses in the congregation. And now Peter, obviously with all these things in mind, is uh, is mulling over this and he's wondering... You know how, how far we go with this forgiveness? Where where do we get to the line to where we say um, I'm not you know there's no more forgiveness I'm not going to forgive you, which interestingly Jesus never does really say in in his uh, in his instruction there concerning the church. I mean you might think well okay excommunication is the final line. Jesus said let them become to you as a heathen and a tax collector, that means we're done with you, right? We wash our hands, we're done. Not necessarily. What he's saying there is, now. You, the, the, yes, they're removed from the church fellowship, and now you treat them as a lost person, but how do you treat lost people? Well, hopefully, we lovingly give them the gospel in hopes that they'll be reconciled to God. So, So, when he says, now you treat them as a stranger, as a heathen and a tax collector... Remember how Jesus treated heathens and tax collectors? He took the gospel to them. So I think even there, he he still what he has in view is repentance and reconciliation. That's the reason for. And I think this often gets missed. You know, if you think, well, excommunication or excluding somebody, removing somebody from fellowship, sure does sound extreme. It is extreme, but the reason for it. It's because you want them to repent and be reconciled. You know, you're, you're still hoping for reconciliation there. So, he never, he never mentions a, a line where you say, okay, now that, that's it. That's that. You don't, don't fool with them anymore. No forgiveness once they cross this line. So, so Peter asks, Lord, verse 21, How often shall I forgive my brother? How often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times. You know, it's kind of interesting. Um, There was a a rabbinic uh, tradition at this time that said the limit was three. And that was widely accepted. And so, uh, Peter uh, is actually being generous here. (laughs) because <laughs> he's no doubt you know familiar with that and, and and been taught it and so he's actually uh he's probably thinking you know uh well I'm 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 going to be really gracious and just uh you know more than double that and uh uh 7 is one of those numbers that you know a lot of times has uh, some s- symbolic uh nature to it anyway so he may, he may just be having some idea of completion in mind but in any way, do I, do I just put up with it seven times and then say enough's enough? And Jesus in verse 22 says, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Now, if you're fairly good at math or if you've figured this up before, you know that's 490 times. Uh, well, first of all, uh, let, let's just let's say we take that literal. And Jesus is saying, okay, they can ask for forgiveness and you forgive them 490 times. The 491st time, you're done. It's over with. You don't have to forgive them anymore. Well, if, if we were going to take that literal, that's, that's a lot of times in a day. That's a lot of times in you know, any length of period. Um, so it's still extreme. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not meaning it literal. It's, it's a way of saying um, that there is no limit. Again, seven re- represents often uh, uh, the idea of perfection. and Jesus says, um, or completion. And Jesus says, "I tell you not seven times, but seventy times seven. And it's, it's just hyperbole to, to illustrate that there is no limit. It's not three, it's not seven, not even 490. The implication is, if they repent, you forgive. doesn't matter if it's seven times, 491 times, 5,384 times. It doesn't matter. If they repent, you forgive. That's what Jesus is saying. We, we've, we've got to be limitless in our capacity to forgive when someone repents of their sin and asks for forgiveness. Now, Jesus decides to drive this home with a illustration, as He so often does, a parable. That begins in verse 23. Now again, what's in view here is the kingdom of God. And specifically here, He's talking about offenses and offenses being committed. So, uh, again, back in the early part of this chapter, he talks about entrance to the kingdom of God. You've got to become as a little child or else you can't even enter the kingdom of, of heaven. Here, um, he's, he still has that in view, as he always does. He's talking about the nature of the kingdom and how the kingdom children or the kingdom heirs are to conduct ourselves. So, he's saying it's like this. This is a, this is a simile Verse 23, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. Now, let me stop there for a moment. I want to, I want to, um, I want us to consider three things here to remember, or to put it, we'll put it in negative form. Uh, so the first one is this: um, Don't forget our debt. Don't forget our debt. Now that's illustrated in this parable by a man who owes, um, in verse, uh, in verse twenty-three through twenty-five. This this man owes ten thousand talents to his master. But that's an extreme amount of money. Um, it was interesting, you know, with all the the inflation. <laughs> when you're looking at old commentaries compared to new commentaries, it was it was kind of interesting when they would bring it over into American dollars. So, for example, I, I looked at Marvin Vincent, who lived uh, into the 20th century, I believe. But but he, but you know, he was uh, a lot of his writing and, and so forth. Uh, in fact, the uh, the book I was looking at was I think published in 1874. I, uh, somewhere along there, in, in late 1870s. And so when he brought it over into American dollars, uh, 10,000 talents, um, I think he said it was two billions, uh, uh, I, I'm sorry, two, two millions, two millions of dollars. And Spurgeon said, uh, gave a, a, a similar, which Spurgeon lived about that same time, but Spurgeon gave a similar amount. So roughly, you know, two, two billion dollars. And then I looked at a, a recent uh, commentary. In fact, it was the ESV Study Bible, um, which just came out uh, a few years ago. And it equated it, you know, brings this 10,000 talents over into American dollars today. And it equated it with $6 billion. Instead of $2 million, $6 billion. So, a um, little inflation since the 1870s, right? But uh, it's a lot of money, all right? <laughs> Six big. I mean, assuming that 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 is a true equivalent for 2011, um, just to get a taste of it, uh, uh, imagine yourself working for somebody at a at a regular um, working class day's wage, which is what this man was doing, and you owe them six billion dollars. Now, now you see how extreme it is, and, and it's just. Uh, relative to you know jesus' day, it was that extreme. ten thousand talents was that extreme. what would be to us six billion that that 's an enormous debt that no common person working class person can pay and that 's exactly what it says verse twenty five verse twenty four rather when he had begun to settle accounts, that is when um, when the king had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, but he was not able to pay. That's, that's where we are spiritually. I mean, it would be bad enough if I owed somebody $6 billion, uh, I'm, I'm unable to pay. I'm, it's hopeless. It's hopeless. I'm not going to make $6 billion in my lifetime. Pretty sure about that. <laughs> as sure as I, I mean, I don't know the future, but I'm pretty sure I'm not going to make $6 billion in my lifetime. Um, and that's just an illustration of where we are spiritually. So, our debt to God because of our offense against Him is actually far more. And it really doesn't compare. We, But we can say it this way, the way Jesus says about the man, we owe a debt to God that we cannot pay. It's just impossible. If If you had the heart to pay, if you had the, the willingness to pay, it would still be hopeless. You cannot pay it. If you had to die for your own sins... You cannot pay it. The reason is because the offense is so great. An offense, a transgression against the holy God is infinite. It's an infinite offense and therefore it's worthy of infinite punishment or repayment. Which again, we can't pay. A lot of people in our day have trouble with the idea of the eternality of hell. A lot of people have trouble with the idea of hell at all. Well, I guess we all have trouble with it, but but some people want to say that the Bible doesn't teach it. It's not, you know, it, it can't be there because God couldn't do that. He wouldn't do that to to someone. But when we take that attitude, we're what, what we're doing is minimizing the extent of our offense against God. In other words, what we're really saying is. It's not possible that I could really be that bad to deserve eternal punishment. Well, the truth is, the Scripture teaches, yes, we're that bad. Our offense against God is that bad. And yes, hell is real. And yes, hell is eternal. And I think precisely because you can never pay up your debt. Your debt is so great if you're going to pay it on your own. Your your sin, my sin, is so serious. My offense against God is of an infinite nature. And therefore, if I'm going to pay it myself, I'll never be able to pay it up. Which means, I'll be in hell forever and ever and ever. Forever paying, but never paying in full. Because we're unable to pay. We're in the same condition spiritually that this man was in. With his monetary debt to his king, he was unable to pay, verse 25. And payment is demanded. It has to be. Spurgeon says this, He had not to pay, yet by royal order payment was to be made. He was wretched indeed. Brothers and sisters, that, that's, that's the state of every sinner. We, we are unable to pay. We have not to pay, as, as Spurgeon says, and just meaning we're, we don't have the ability. We cannot pay for our transgression. And yet, the royal order is payment must be made. Because God is holy and His righteous judgment must be satisfied. He cannot sweep sin under the rug. He cannot overlook it because He is holy. People say, oh, well, if God is a loving God, surely surely He will overlook our sin. He'll pretend like it didn't happen. God is a loving God, but He loves with holy love. He's also a holy God. He cannot overlook sin. He demands righteous payment, judgment. So, we cannot pay, and yet payment is demanded. And so what do we do? Well, here's the second thing. First, don't forget our debt. Secondly, don't forget the mercy of God. Don't forget the mercy of God. You say, well, wait a minute. You just said God's loving, but He won't overlook your sin. So, why are you talking about mercy now? No, he doesn't, he doesn't sweep it under the rug. He doesn't overlook it. It has to be dealt with. Payment has to be made. And God, in His mercy, has provided payment. Let's see how this plays out in the parable uh, here. <clears throat> Verse 24, When he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment be made. The servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Now, I want to notice one thing here, because, because this, here's an example of what Jesus was referring to in verses three and four. Surely I say unto you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is saying, humility is required. You must humble yourself. And that's what's taking place in this parable. This man is humbling himself before his king and asking for mercy. He's asking for patience. Verse 26, the servant fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. Now, that's, that's mercy. The, the servant cries out for mercy, and his master, the king, is moved with compassion and forgives Him. Now, there's, there's a picture of the mercy of God. Don't forget the mercy of God. Don't forget how our, our debt was dealt with. Uh, we, we're unable to pay. We didn't pay. We cannot pay. We can't pay all of it. We can't pay some of it. We can't pay any of it. We're totally dependent upon the mercy of God. And here's a picture of God's mercy toward us. The Master has compassion on the man and releases him. And by the way, um, that's the same language from verse uh, 18, where we were talking about offenses uh, in the church among brothers and sisters in Christ, which is still... What he's dealing with uh, by illustration here, but uh, in verses 15 through 20, he's he's giving a it, it, those verses are didactic. He's, he's teaching. Here's what you do in a real life situation um, in the church. And he says in verse 18, "Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Or, as we mentioned last week, uh, it, it, the idea there is whatever you bind on earth um, shall have been bound in heaven." And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And that word loose, the same root word is used here in uh, in verse 27. He released him. The master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him. That's, that's what verse 18 is, I think, talking about. Um, either... Uh, re- retaining someone's sin, like uh, I think it's John 19, where John uses a similar language, Jesus does, recorded by John. Either not forgiving, you know, retaining someone's sin, or releasing them, loosing them. And this is what the master does in the parable. He he releases him and forgives him. His sin is forgiven. That's what God does with us don't forget god's mercy towards us we we humble ourselves because of you know our, acknowledging our debt and acknowledging the fact that our debt is is too much for us to pay we go humbly before him crying out for mercy and god in his compassion releases And forgives us. Not because he owes us. Not because he's just willing to overlook it or, again, sweep it under the rug, as we say. No, he's provided payment for us in the person of Jesus Christ. In the life, death, resurrection of Christ, our salvation is bought and paid for and completed. All right? But it's all out of God's mercy his, his compassion on us. don't forget God's mercy We're, we're not Christians because uh, you know we grew up and sometimes we, we we look back on and you know some of us I mean in terms of years, some of us have further back to look than others you know some of us have been saved a while some of us haven't been saved very long but sometimes we we look back and we look at all the you know, stupid things we've done or sinful things we've done and, and, and we acknowledge um, you know, that they were bad, that there was, maybe that there was immaturity involved and this and that, but we're not where we are now because we grew up or because we got smarter. We're where we are now because of God's grace, because of His compassion, because of His mercy. Don't forget His mercy. We, we can't take any... Credit for our standing with with God. It's all based upon His mercy. Don't forget God's mercy. Now, thirdly this, and this is uh, really the main point of the parable. Don't forget our responsibility to others. Now, those first two things have to be in view. We have to understand... That we've offended a righteous and holy God with our sin. What I mean by that is this. Our our wrongdoing, and that's what we're talking about when we talk about sin, rebellion, rebellion against God. Our wrongdoing is a direct attack, an act of aggression toward God's sovereign rule. So, I'm a... Sin against you, you know, sin directly against you. I could I, I could come up and, you know, say something ugly about you or, you know, or uh, whatever. But, yes, that would be a sin against you. But at the same time, it's also a direct attack upon God. What like David said in the Psalms, you know, I've sinned in Psalm 51. I've sinned against you and against you only have I sinned. That's what he means there. That ultimately, my sin is against you, Lord. I've offended you, Lord. So we've got to keep that in view. Our debt is that we have offended, is more than we can pay. It is that we have offended a holy God. Our debt is of an infinite nature. The offense that we've committed, our sin, our rebellion against God is of an infinite nature because it's committed against an infinitely holy God and therefore it is deserving of infinite judgment. Unending judgment, eternal consequences. So we've got to have that in view. Then we've got to have God's mercy in view. That we had this debt that we couldn't pay. And God released us from it out of compassion. Not because He owed us, but because He loved us. Because He had compassion on us. And then what should flow out of those two things... Is us having mercy on others. That's not what happens in the parable, and that's why Jesus tells it to make this point. Verse twenty-eight: That servant, this is the servant who had just been released, forgiven. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's that's roughly a, a a denarii is roughly a day's wages. That's why I said earlier this we're just talking about working class folks here, but. uh this servant owed him about a hundred days wages. That's, that's a, 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 you know, to us would be a significant amount of money, but it is nothing compared to the 10,000 talents, right? I mean, if somebody owes you a couple months' wages, three months' wages, um, that's nothing compared to six billion dollars. You know, unless you make. Pretty good wages. <laughs> but in their case, in their case, the comparison is almost nothing. And this is a fellow servant. Not, not, not his servant, but a fellow servant of the king. This is his equal, his peer. Verse 28, again. He went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Does any of this sound familiar? I mean, he comes demanding payment. This is the same thing his master did with him. Not as violently, but he did demand payment. And then his fellow servant falls down just like he did before his master and begs for patience. But, His master had compassion on him, and verse 30 says he wouldn't have compassion on his fellow servant. He would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So this man who had been forgiven $6 billion is throwing his fellow worker in debtor's prison for a couple months' pay. He forgot. He had a short memory. He forgot the extent of his own debt. He forgot his master's mercy. And would not have the patience that was requested. We cannot afford to forget our debt and God's mercy we have a responsibility our responsibility and we don't want to forget this our responsibility is to extend god's mercy to others we we want to be so grateful so thankful that god has had mercy on us that we we are quick to forgive other people now let me point out one thing quickly here <clears throat> Sometimes, when we, when we talk about forgiveness, sometimes we, we mean a little different. Um, we have different things in mind. I, I think it's clear, and this, this may sound a little strange to some of you, but I, but I think it's clear here that Jesus is saying there is a prerequisite for forgiveness. When we're talking about sins committed between brothers and sisters in Christ, I think it's clear uh, from this passage and from others that there's a prerequisite, and that is this, repentance. Repentance. You can think back just for a moment to verses 15 through 20. What is the problem there? The problem there is that the person who has committed the sin is unrepentant. And Jesus says, you go to that person, you tell them their fault, and if, if they repent, then you're... You're reconciled. That's verse 15. If your brother sins against you, you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. If he hears you, meaning if he accepts your testimony, if he accepts what you say, he repents, then... Um, then there's restoration. You've gained your brother. If he will not hear you, take, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of, of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, that is, he's still unrepentant, you tell it to the church. But if, and the implication is, if he, if he does hear you, if he does repent, you've gained your brother. Reconciliation takes place. But he doesn't, so you take it to the church. If he refuses to hear the church... Let him become to you like a heathen and a tax collector. It's because of unrepentance. You, you can't have the, the, the uh, reconciliation because of the refusal to repent. But having said that, there's an, another sense in which we use the word. and it, it, it is true that no Christian should be carrying a grudge, whether the other person is repentant or not. I mean, you can't have the kind of forgiveness that restores the relationship to what it once was, if they're unrepentant. But that doesn't mean that you, that you harbor any kind of hatred or ill, Ill feelings. We, we can't afford to do that. Let me just say it this way. How many of our sins does... I'm talking about believers here. How many of our sins does God hold against us? None. Good answer. If we're in Christ, He's forgiven us. Christ paid the debt for all of our sins, past, present, and future. It doesn't mean that God doesn't deal with us regarding our sins while we're here. But as, as far as our eternal state, God has forgiven us because Jesus has made sufficient payment. So, I, th- I think this is the, the point of the, the parable. We cannot have any ill feelings toward one another. In fact, i, I just put it in, in, into a rhetorical question. How, how is it possible? How is it possible that we who have been forgiven so much can have ill feelings toward anybody else? I think the only way it's possible is if we don't recognize the magnitude of our own sin. Nor the extent of God's mercy in saving us. It, it's true that with an unrepentant person, Jesus says in verse uh, verse um, 19, I'm sorry, verse 17, that because of their unrepentance, you know, that you, you can't have the same kind of fellowship you once had. They they have to be put out from the congregation. They become to you like a lost person. There's no there's not that intimate fellowship. But that doesn't mean you hold a grudge. It doesn't mean that you want revenge. In fact, those things cannot be true. We must seek their well-being, their spiritual well-being at all times. We must Remember our own sinfulness, our own debt, our own transgression against God. And the infinite nature of it. And we must remember God's mercy, how great God's mercy is in saving me. I've got to keep that in view. And I must extend that to other people. Our responsibility is to seek reconciliation. Again, that's the point of verses 15 through 20. Brother sins against you. What do you do? Seek reconciliation. Actively pursue repentance in the life of that sinning person. And seek reconciliation with them. Extend mercy. Think about the mercy that we enjoy, the mercy that God has extended to us, and extend that to others. That's our responsibility. Seek reconciliation with them. Extend mercy to them. And again, that can can even be done in the context of verse 17. Let them be like a heathen and a tax collector to you does not mean that, that you can no longer extend mercy to them. Because again, that's exactly what Jesus did with heathens and tax collectors. He proclaimed the gospel to them. So we have a responsibility to seek reconciliation. We have a responsibility to extend the mercy of God, the mercy that we enjoy to them. That is to forgive them and have patience with them. Remember the the cry of both of these servants, "Have, have patience with me, have patience with me. And it's that word that is is, uh, so often used in the New Testament. Um, It means long-tempered. Be long-tempered with me. And if you know know what sharp-tempered is, then it's the opposite of that. And now you understand uh, the Greek word makrothumia, long-tempered. And and that that word, incidentally, uh, it it means, it, it is talking about our dealings with people. When, when we're in rough circumstances, that requires endurance. When we have problems in relationships, that requires patience. Two different things, two different words in the Greek. Um, so, so we have. To, if, if you're in bad circumstances, yes, you need endurance. That's what Jesus, uh, um, Peter said. You remember the the Old King James says patience, but it's, the, word, the Greek word there is, is endurance. Remember the endurance of Job. He's talking about circumstances there. Remember the endurance of Job. Paul uses both words. In fact, let me let me go there right quick because this is a um, if, this is one of the places. If if uh, if you ever wonder how to this may sound selfish, but if you ever wonder how to pray for me, I'm fixing to tell you right here. Just just go to Colossians uh, one, um, starting about verse nine. And that, that prayer, at least down through uh at least down through verse fourteen, the prayer that Paul prays there for Colossians, uh, that would be my request. That's how you pray for me, okay? <laughs> and and this is how I pray for you. Let me just take one section of that, verse eleven. Paul says, I'm praying for you that you be strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long suffering. Now, I'm looking at New King James, which, which uh, translates the word um, hupomone there, same way the old King James does, as patience, but it's really talking about endurance. Paul says, I'm praying for you that you will have all endurance and long-suffering. That's the word for patience. Long-tempered, literally. Long-suffering is a, is a good word, too, really. We just don't use that word much today, but... That's that's a great translation. Endurance and long suffering. So what Paul is saying in Colossians one eleven, I'm praying for you that you be strengthened with all might. That of course he's talking about by the power of God. Be strengthened with all might according to His glorious power. Strengthened for what? For all endurance. That is in dealing with circumstances that you that you will be empowered by God to endure. And he says, I'm praying for you that you'll be empowered by God for all patience or long-suffering. So he's saying, I'm praying for you that in in circumstances you'll be able to endure and that in your dealings with people, that is in relationships, you will be long-tempered. You'll have patience. And Paul recognizes that it takes the glorious power of God to produce that in us, to give us the strength to do that and we've got to remember that's our responsibility to be long-tempered with other people we've sinned against God God has mercy we are sinned against what is our response? well, if we're doing God's will to have mercy I mean, you could choke them down like this fellow does I don't recommend that <laughs> Be long tempered. Real quick. Let me just, I uh, hate, hate to move through it this quick, but we're out of time. Um, the word gets back to the master that this man has done this. He's he, he forgot. He had, he had mercy extended to him, but he would not extend it, and so his master is furious. Verse 33, again, here's our responsibility. Should you not also have had compassion? He says in verse 32, I forgave you all the debt. I forgave you all the debt because you begged Me. Now, should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant? That's the question that Jesus is posing for us. I forgave you all the debt. Your sins are wiped out, gone, taken care of, clean. Your payment has been Made in full, not not by you. My payment for my sin has not been made by me. It's been made by Jesus. Jesus went to the cross to pay for my sin. And so, my account is marked paid in full. There's, there's not a thing I can add to that in regard to my relationship with God. Not a thing I can add to that. What I can do is extend that same mercy to other people. And Jesus is saying, Should you not do that? I forgave you all the debt. Now should you not also have, have had compassion on your fellow servant? Doesn't my compassion on you motivate you to be compassionate toward others? Should you not have compassion? and by incidentally in verse thirty three the word compassion and uh, the word pity, some translations have, it's the same word. It's translated with two different words there, but it's the same word. He's, he's just simply saying, I had compassion on you, should you not have compassion on them? It's our responsibility to extend the grace shown to us to others. Especially our brothers and sisters in, in the household of God, but also to the world. That plays out in various ways. I don't have time to illustrate, but I'm sure you can think of it on your own. But let me just say these two things. One is what I just said. We, 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 can't, we cannot hold ill feelings toward one another. That cannot be. If they're there, we must do what Jesus said. We go to that person. If they sin against us even, uh, we go to that person lovingly. And seek reconciliation. We cannot harbor ill ill feelings among ourselves. Another way I think it plays out is in evangelism toward the world. We must remember the debt that we owe. We must remember the mercy shown to us. And we must desire that for other people who are in that situation. How can we not evangelize? If our salvation is real to us, if we are thankful for God's love and His mercy shown to us, how can we not want other people, to experience that. We must not forget the nature of our own sin. We must not forget the great mercy that God has shown to us. And we must not forget our responsibility to be a conduit of God's mercy to the world and to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now I know this in one sense is a bad way to stop, a bad place to stop, but <laughs> Jesus issues a warning. Verse 34, his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. And then Jesus said, So, now the parable is over, and Jesus says to his disciples, So my heavenly Father also will do to you, if each of you, from his heart, does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? That that's a stern warning. What he's saying, brothers and sisters, is it's not an option. He's not Doctor Phil. He's not making suggestions. He's saying this this kind of forgiveness is central to the heart of God. And so, because it is, this kind of forgiveness, this disposition of forgiveness, is a central characteristic of God's children. It's central to the to the church. We're the redeemed. We're the bought. We're the forgiven. so we should be characterized by forgiveness. Let's pray. You can stand if you would, please. And we'll pray and then dismiss. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation, which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.